0: Welcome to the Make It A Great Day movement, where we're making suicide a thing of the past. This is the suicide prevention show, where we are taking a very serious topic and turning prevention, turning it into something that is seriously fun. Preventing something is fun. It's like getting over a challenge. The challenge, 3,000 teens in America, over 3,000 attempt to take their own lives every day. That's a serious challenge. The cure, let's make them suicide-proof. Let's get them an attitude adjustment. Let's get them some skills. And most importantly, let's share with them some stories of what it takes to meet challenges in life. So our next speaker, our next panelist, our next person who's a very inspiring person, is my son-in-law my son-in-law terry ashton and terry is one of the most inspiring people i know so when he agreed to be interviewed and this man's a little camera shy he agreed to be interviewed so i want you all to show him a lot of love in the chat go to the chat and talk to him tell him to get on camera encourage him give him a little love everybody come on lay it up yes there he is all right. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you, Terry? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you.
0: Oh, good. Okay. Well, you know, the tech check is always the first thing. So we always check the tech the chat box, make sure it works. So you guys, thank you very much for that. Then we come in here and we check the tech with our speaker. Do you can you hear me now and can I hear you? So, Thank you, Terry. I'm You're glad. welcome. One of the things that I like about you is your willingness to just show up. And now I'm going to ask you to be willing to share a story. All right. So when I met you, you were managing a bowling alley. Yes. And then life started changing. For one thing, you started hanging out with my family a little more, but that's hmm. not the only thing that changed. So you went into a corporate career. You know, you went in with the, and not most people's idea of a corporate career, but you went into work with a big corporation, had really good benefits, you know, had a career path for you. And what happened?
1: Um, I, I think it was about this time last year I started uh, suffering uh, terrible migraines mm. and would have um, seizure episodes. And the first one that I noticed, my wife actually thought I was having a stroke. So I went to the hospital and they said I wasn't having a stroke. Um, really couldn't figure it out. And then maybe a couple weeks later, it happened again, except for this time it was uh seizure activity instead of having stroke. So another trip overnight trip back to the ER, you know, to make sure that I was doing okay. And then it just kept happening. So finally I listened to my wife and which my wife is Stephanie Ashton, by the way. Um, finally went to a neurologist to try to figure things out and um have done all the tests. I just recently did a neuropsych evaluation, which I heard the last speaker talking about neuropsych being the hot Mm -hmm. thing right now. Um, And they said that I was suffering from a moderate to severe depression and a couple other things that I don't, Stephanie would remember more than I do when it comes to medical stuff. (laughs)
0: Well, the journey that's so prevalent in our world, Carrie, is that you had a life. Yes. You know, you had a career, you had a direction, and then it changed.
1: Yes, it did. So what? I um, decided that it took me a while to, because as a, as a young as a guy, we're raised to, we're going to work. We're going to support our, you know, family, which mine is a wife and two dogs, you know, so not a gigantic family, but
0: (laughs) my grandpuppies.
1: Yep. Um, so when I couldn't go to work, I started to become depressed and a few months went by and it started to get worse and worse. And then one day, um, <clears throat> it was either late January, or early February. I can't really remember. And there's not too many people that know about this story. In fact, it took me a few weeks before I even told my wife about it because I was a, ashamed of myself. I tried myself to commit suicide at the age of 42. So not not a teenager. I woke up one day just in pain um, and not working, not having any real income, having to, you know, have other people help you, especially the way that I grew up, is not an easy thing to do. Um, So I got a, a knife that I use when I go fishing and I stood in my bathroom over my sink and I started to kind of jab the knife into my wrist because I was going to slit my wrist that day. Um, Stephanie was over at her parents' house helping her uh, with stuff, so I was alone. And as I did that, I kind of felt these eyes upon me and I look over and it's my two dogs. Um, so at first, I kind of, you know, I looked back, I didn't think any, I, I knew what they wanted. They needed to go outside to be walked. <laughs> One of my thoughts was, well, if I do this, I won't have to walk them. <laughs> but then I looked over at them again and their eyes and, and then I just kind of snapped out of it and put the knife down, rinsed my, you know, clean my wrist off and just took them outside and. I uh, really haven't, uh, I haven't tried anything like that since, but I just, at that point, I just let it finally all catch up to me. And I wouldn't talk, you know, like I said, it took me three or four weeks before I even told Stephanie about this. And mm-hmm. um, The only other person that knew was my dad, which is why he came down to visit. Oh. And then the two doctors that I, I obviously told my neurologists, And then the neuropsych person, um, what I had tried to do. So there was, so not even, I, I hadn't told my mother or anybody else. There was very few people that knew about this.
0: Well, when you agreed to talk on the show, I didn't know about it. Yeah. I had no idea why in the midst of all of the turmoil in this country, your parent, your dad, stepmom would come down. Yeah, and I was like, that's weird. Yeah, now I know. What's really brave though, is that you told people who could actually help you. And you told the medical professionals, you told people who could actually make a difference. You know, for those of you who don't know, Stephanie's the reason that this whole Make It a Great Day movement got started She gave a seven-minute talk about the rate of teen suicide in our country, told her own story about multiple suicide attempts as a teenager, and a desire to create a program. So that's what launched this whole movement. And now, Terry, that timeline, because it was the same month that Stephanie gave her talk, that you had that attack of inside your own head of the first migraine and you know since then these two things have been walking together I had no idea that you had walked into that place where you had in my language sold yourself on diet being better than living the fact that you stopped and that you were able to turn that that ability is something that I just you know wrap yourself up here honey because that's an emotional resilience level that if more people had it the rate of suicide in this country and in the world would go down so where in your world, if you go back and you think back, where in your world did you have to deal with other emotional adversity? Where did this internal strength come from? What do you see as possible things that contributed to you being able to turn that and have um, the to walk away?
1: I missed a little bit of that. It sounded like the sound cut out.
0: Okay, so we'll try it again. Think to your world. Your past you were emotionally resilient in that moment right in that moment you you put the knife down you haven't picked it back up you haven't sold yourself on that idea that dying is better than living again you're having different conversations in your mind but that level of emotional resilience that allowed you to put the knife down and walk away any thoughts that come to your mind because I know we haven't talked about this just in case you all can't tell I don't script my interviews and Terry any other time in your life that you have had to have some emotional resilience you had to be the comeback kid you had to bounce back from a setback?
1: Um. Yeah, probably a lot. I just have to think of something that um,
0: comes to mind.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I um, probably, I, I can't, it was when I was, so we're about twelve years ago, I hurt. I hurt my knee, my right knee, and um, it was pretty damaged. I missed a lot of. In fact, it directly resulted in how I ended up down here. Actually, I moved back down to Florida. I hurt my knee. Um, I went. I went back to work. Um, with strict doctor's orders on how long i was supposed to i was supposed to be on it no longer than four hours well my job decided that day to keep me there for 12 hours Ouch. so by the time i got home um my knee had swollen back up and was just not in good shape so the next day i called him and said hey i'm not going to be able to come back in or i'm not going to because i we didn't follow doctor's orders and now well that my job then they called me and and fired me because they're like, well, we don't know how we're going to deal with your knee issue. Mm -hmm. So at that point I was also kind of directionless as well. And I came down here just as a visit and I ended up getting my job at the bowling alley and I just stayed. I was actually getting ready to move back to Ohio and I met Stephanie. And so to kind of, you know, to, To you know, have to deal with that knee injury, and I, I know that uh, I think Katie kind of deals was dealing with the same issue with the ACL. Or at least last time Stephanie told me about it, issue with her knee. That that can be hard to to deal with. That's mm-hmm. you know because you walk and you stand, and so you know I had to fight through to get back to normal on that one as oh. well because that was kind of mentally draining to deal with just, you know, barely being able to walk. And, you know, I lived up in Ohio where it was icy. So I'm trying to walk on a bad knee and ice. Yeah. In fact, that's how I hurt my knee to begin with was I slipped and fell on the ice. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: got that. Okay. So treacherously icy. Yes. And while the, this is what I was looking to help people understand is that the challenges that we overcome in our life are like building an emotional resilience muscle. And so many times we look at them and, and think how awful and people play the ain't it awful game. The reality is it was those things that you overcame that contributed to you having the resilience to still be alive right now. And I'm going to call it what it is. You know, those things that were hard back then are the very skills emotionally and physically that make it possible for you to be here. Now, I know that you use as many tools as you can get as as they're still working out the medical mystery of the migraines. So you use a bunch of tools and some, actually, I don't know that, I know you use a couple of tools. The main yep. tool is your dogs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The the second main tool is is our family's first foray into this whole neuro world, which was neurotech clothing. So the, um, you're wearing it, <laughs> I wear it, all, I wear it. I wear it almost all the time. All right. So, um, and, and Katie, i will have to post that. It's socksforhealth.com. Neurotech clothing came into our world and Mark and I embraced it, hoping it would be a help for Stephanie, who also has some you know, some health issues, some physical health issues and challenges. Um, and so you ended up being the beneficiary of that experiment because um, what's the effect that it has?
1: What have you noticed that you started using that? Um, it makes my decision-making uh, decision a little bit sharper. And I know this is going to sound, but the first place I noticed it, because I'm a video gamer, the first place I noticed it was video gaming like when I would do online mm-hmm. gaming against other people it would I would start to get a little bit mentally sharper and my reflexes would get my mental reflexes would get a little bit quicker mm-hmm. because before I, I I wouldn't play some of these games because I just sucked at it. and dealing with kids online they're very very mean you know <laughs> What, you so mean there's would, bullying
0: in the gaming world?
1: Yeah, really? yeah. Um, but you kind of learn to deal with it because I've been doing it for – I mean, I'm, I've engaged in it quite often myself when I was a little bit younger. So I wouldn't play those games. And then one day I, I put the sleeve on. I just started playing. I noticed that I was getting a little bit better and quicker and sharper. And I was like, okay, well, I'm guessing this sleeve is actually working. Yeah, And I've noticed that my memory gets a little bit better when I, you know, as long as I have it on mm -hmm. my, you know, my cognitive stuff is a little bit better, sharper.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know if you were wearing it or not, but my guess was that you would have used all the tools that you had at your disposal to be able to to come on and, and do the interview. Yeah. Gary, you're dealing with what I call the ultimate betrayal. You're dealing with your life, as you expected it to turn out, being taken away from you. And your body is the reason. Your body betrayal is a thing in my world. So you're dealing with what a lot of other people have experienced with. They know someone who's dealing with. What do you want them to know? Anybody who's facing the fact that their body all of a sudden is changing their reality, and not in a good way. What do you want
1: them to know? That um, there is, I mean, there's obviously a different answer than trying to, to take your own life. Okay. Um, but you can, I, you can get through it. I mean, it's it, it's terrible. It sucks. Um, but you can definitely get, especially when you got family that's willing to, to help you like you guys are um because this is something i never bring up to my family really because they don't listen or whatever but uh <laughs> i can hear stephanie laughing back there
0: we're we're going we're to call that what it is all right because this is yeah. an alpha. not everyone in your world is going to understand not everyone in your world is going to have the bandwidth to be supportive this is not just you terry this is the reality You know, when I was dealing with my own depression, trust me, my family, my blood family, is not the first place I went. It actually wasn't even the last place I went. I probably still have family members that are going to watch this and go, You had depression. Yeah, you saw, yeah, because it wasn't where I went for support. And that's the value of. What we're trying to do with the show is we're trying to help all families become a little more emotionally available, a little more resilient, a little more able to hold space for each other. And it's just a process. Right. Um I did not know that I could be super supportive of my sons-in-law. You know, I'm busy being supportive of my daughters, I was not a very engaged mother-in-law until the day you texted me. And the text that you sent me was about Stephanie giving you the first book that I wrote for the Suicide Prevention Society, which was the Why Not Workbook. Mm -hmm. And you sent me a text message. Just so you'll know. Uh, that message that said that that book made a difference is the reason that book got published online. I had no idea if what I had written was going to help anybody. I you know, It just came out of my head. I don't know if it's any good. And I didn't know who to... T- I, I had tested the concept with Mark. And my guy, Mark, for you guys who don't know him, um, he's not only the poster child for adult ADHD, he's um, the least likely to go into what he calls woo-woo, or that kind of a discussion. And the Why Not Workbook is all about how your brain works and how to break the cycle of negative thinking. And so Mark was willing to play for about five minutes, which is all it takes to do that, thank God. Um, And it was really funny. Um, His answers were really telling. So, Terry, I'm not going to ask you to disclose, but maybe if you want to, you want to play that game with me? And then we're going to give everybody the game, the, the Why Not Work book as a gift.
1: Yeah, sure. Cool. I, I mean, I will say that that, that book um, is probably, well, that in my wife and, you know, my family. Mm-hmm. But the book is a large part of why I don't really want to off my, you know, kill my, take, commit suicide, you know. Uh, no, no. You I hear language. so much different language out there. that You it gets, do you,
0: okay? <laughs> Just you do. It's why you don't want to off yourself.
1: Yeah. And um, we're
0: afraid of the language, people. We're not going to be able to have an honest conversation with each other. So all my advocates, listen up. You
1: do you, Terry.
0: Yeah. It's
1: Thank you. You're welcome. But it does. I, I started... I don't write it down in my book, but I have a word um, in my phone, my little word thing, and I have just a document. Obviously, no one sees it but me, but it's just Mm -hmm. the same document that any time I'm starting to feel that way, I'll just sit down, I'll open it up, and I'll think of reasons of why not kill myself today. And you can always think of something. It's as simple as... If I killed myself, I wouldn't be able to sit out and sit here and look at the our beautiful scenery that we have in our backyard. That would be gone. I wouldn't see that anymore. So it's it makes it very simple to say, hey, I don't want to kill myself because I won't be able to do this anymore. So this is why not? Why not?
0: Yeah, and and for those of you... We're going to walk through this. I'm going to give a little background. The Why Not Workbook is based on the concept of the natural negative bias of the brain. And most of the tools that I could find when I was dealing with depression were based on accenting the positive and ignoring the negative. But there's a problem. The negative is what's natural. So I realized that if I really wanted to have an impact in this arena of suicide, which is about as negative as you can get, taking your own life is about the ultimate self-sabotage and self-sabotage is my thing. So coming out of self-sabotage, succeeding in spite of it, I had to work through some concepts, but when it came to suicide, I had no idea how they would apply. So the game is really simple. The why not workbook, the workout is really simple. It's one question and it works really well with you doing it with pairs, but as obviously, Terry, you did it all on your own. So it works that way too. Okay. You ready to play? Yep. All right. Terry, why not kill yourself today?
1: I would no longer be able to see my wife anymore.
0: Terry. Why not kill yourself today?
1: I would no longer be able to celebrate my favorite holiday, which is Halloween. Terry, why not kill yourself today? I wouldn't be able to watch my favorite movie, Halloween, anymore.
0: (laughs) Terry, why not kill yourself today? Uh, I would be leaving my dogs behind. Terry, why not kill yourself today? I'd be
1: leaving my family behind. Kerry, why not kill yourself today? I'll never have a chance to, to drive my dream car. All right.
0: There you have it. When we got down to the sixth question with Mark, it was also about cars. Mark's a car guy. So cool. The bottom line is that you start to understand what's important to you. When Mark started at the top and we did the first question, his first answer why not to why not kill yourself today was because it would be a mess. You know, his second answer was also about other people, but then he got into, he would miss having interesting conversations with new people. And then it came down to the cars and driving the dream car, driving a new car. You know, It doesn't have to be big, grandiose things, people. The why not question you can use for anything that you want to change in your life. And Terry, thank you. Because it truly is that text that you sent me that created my willingness to publish that book. And that decision led to the next book. And now there's another book. And so the the Why Not Workbook actually led to the Know, Like, and Trust Factor assessment, you know, which is the bedrock of the Advocate Training Program. So you didn't know how big of an influence you had on the world. Your willingness to share with me that you were willing to talk about the fact that you had attempted, I'm really glad you survived just so you'll know. Oh, thank you. And it's just really brave and really compelling that you were willing to have that conversation
1: and share the story. Just a just as little as a month or maybe even a week or so ago. Well, a week ago I told you, but mm-hmm. before that, I would have there would have only been the few people that knew about it would still. Mm-hmm. only because I don't really talk about that, you know, stuff. If I did, I'd probably be a little bit emotionally. Uh, wouldn't have to go to neuropsych people. I would.
0: <laughs> we, we don't know, but we'll find out.
1: Yeah. Um, and it was skill. I, I obviously wasn't taught these skills when I was younger. I didn't start to learn this stuff until I started to talk to you and, um, you and Stephanie got involved in the suicide prevention, I, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was the other thing is I thought about was how ashamed I was of even trying, attempting it while my mother-in-law and my, my wife are doing a suicide prevention outreach and here a member of their family is trying to Uh, self-delete
0: oh that one I'm gonna push back on Um, but first I'm gonna say thank you you're welcome thank you Uh, the bottom line Terry is what you just said illustrates exactly why we are on this mission to help people understand they don't know they have the problem but they have the problem right we are all at risk. I call it the suicide wars with three A's. We're, we are all at risk. And we need an army to combat this. So I'm, that's my, my advocate army. My army of advocates is what we're working on. And they're not mine. They are gonna change the world. And the reason is exactly what you just shared. The reason is because that while we're busy, you know, I was busy, Stephanie was busy. While we're busy trying to build a program, trying to create a movement, trying to generate awareness of the risk of suicide that we all have, we were oblivious to the risk inside our own family and for Stephanie inside our own home. We're all at risk. Every single person we know is at risk, they just don't know it. We don't wanna go around poking people, prodding people, scaring people, but what we do wanna do is help people become aware. So by being willing, Terry, to share your story, by you all being willing to listen to the story, by being willing to be part of the show, you're making a difference in the world. And at the end of the day, isn't that nice to know?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Terry, what do you wish I had asked you?
1: Um, not, nothing, really, yes. <laughs>
0: Well, it could be that we're complete. Okay, so now I'm going to go on a rant. Are you ready? I'm ready. The world according to Jackie, this concept of self-delete, this is what people who said the violent video games are a hazard to the brains of our young people who play them, this is why. It's because self-delete sounds easy. There once was a time that there were moral injunctions against suicide. There were community injunctions against suicide. Matter of fact, suicide came into the lexicon. It came into the language at the same time as the phrase self-murder. It was a crime to commit suicide. It was a crime against humanity in every sense of the word, because when you take your own life, you're giving tacit permission to everyone around you to take theirs. It's one of the risk factors. But here's the deal. We don't have injunctions against it anymore. It's no longer a crime. There are organizations of people who are survivors and supporters who are trying to change the language and say, well, people don't commit suicide, it's not a crime. They take their own life. And the only reason that they're willing to have a conversation with me and be part of this movement is because I was willing to delete that sentence, uh, that phrase of committing suicide from my vocabulary, because I want to pull people in and we don't consider it a crime anymore. It is not a crime in most states. As a matter of fact, in some states and in Canada, it is not a crime to help. (laughs) take their own life. So we've taken away the cultural injunction. And with the language of self-delete, we've made it sound easy. We've made it sound painless. We've made it sound like it's no big deal. I mean, we delete files off our computers all the time. We have made ourselves disposable with that language. And I'm out to change it,
1: Terry. Okay. I never looked at it like that. That's
0: Think about it. What do you delete? Things you don't want anymore. Right. If someone's willing to put themselves into the category of spam, that's what we delete out of our email boxes. We delete trash. That's where things go when you delete them on your computer. They go into a trash can in your computer. They go into a trash pile. This concept that we could be considering ourselves trashable, is just language that it's like, we don't realize the impact of our words, which is one of the reasons why on the show, we had Caesar who was talking about all words matter. This is why. This is why, and this is not a conversation I even expected to get into. Terry, I appreciate your being willing to let me rant on your time. We don't know the power of what we say. The power of what we say, we are creative with our conversations. We create war and we create love, all with our conversations. So we are building this journey on the show to help bring in these concepts so that we all start to see ourselves as more powerful to create the lives we want. And we recognize that we haven't done anything wrong. We just didn't know that we were speaking into creation something that maybe we don't want. And that's what referring to suicide as self-deleting is. It's not something we want people to do. At least we assume. I assume that if somebody's on the suicide prevention show, they're not a proponent of that particular act. So any questions that anyone has that they want us to answer, we've got about 10 minutes for Q&A. And Carrie... You've got a question for me you feel free to ask because I know the power of a question to shut down my brain. And it, I know it. sometimes it shuts down other people's brains. So I'm going to give you permission to ask me questions and everybody else can ask any questions that they want. Our purpose here is to help you prepare yourself to help other people prevent suicide. That's the purpose of the show. Your being on the show means that you're probably not at risk. You're already aware. You're part of preventing it for yourself already because you're here getting the education. It's the other people. You're here. We want you to reach out to the other people, the ones who are normal, the ones who are happy, the ones who are sometimes grumpy, sometimes bored. And then they take their own lives and they try to kill themselves and everybody's going, what? They were fine. No, they're not fine the way people think. Fine, it stands for frenzied, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's what fine means. When your friends tell you they're fine, hug them. Don't wait, and don't worry about COVID. COVID is the least of your problems in that moment because that's a signal that they really need a connection. So a virtual hug will do, okay? I'm not, try- I'm not a proponent of spreading the pandemic, but what I am a proponent of is connect in any way that you can. Terry, I appreciate you being willing to connect with me and being willing to share your story and connect with others. Are you welcome. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for playing on the Suicide Prevention Show. Thank you for being willing. Thank all of you all for being willing and hang around.
1: We're not done yet, we'll be right back.